Welcome to this week's episode of Trista's Plate Story Podcast. I'm Trista Polo from IWokeUpAwesome.com, and I am your host. Each week, we learn the story behind that vanity plate. You know, the one you saw driving down the road? What did it say? What did it mean? Why did they choose it? Welcome to Trista's Plate Story Podcast. I'm super excited for today's guest. The plate is head film. The uh, plate owner is Hamza Zaman from the Catskills, originally from the New York City area and relocated up during COVID. Welcome. Thanks for being with me today. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. So tell me first about your plate. Why did you choose head film? Well, my production company and, and film company is called Headless Films. And uh, apparently someone has headless out there for probably a macabre purpose. I'm, I'm not going to judge. And I thought that was the, you know, closest portmanteau for like uh, headless films. And it just worked. I've had some people tease me about it with certain more salacious concepts that I was unaware of. But, you know, I do, I make, you know, standard, straightforward films without too much controversy, I think. Okay, that's good. That's what about. Well, you know, the Headless Horseman is originally based out of the Westchester area. So it could be that that's why it's taken. Yeah. So you make films. You have a production company. How long have you done that? I, I guess my first film was over a decade ago. I mean, I've been writing for, you know, since I was a teenager, but in earnest, we started making our own films probably in 2015-ish. So it's been about, you know, six, seven years, five, six years. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm curious how you go from working on stuff to making it official. What was the auspice for that pivot that had you say, I'm, I'm doing this? Well, like I said, I've been, you know, writing stories since I was a teenager, you know, always wanted to do it, never really got to sort of convert that. I had a couple of abortive attempts and, you know, it's just hard without the resource. So I went to college, went to work, kind of did my whole, you know, traditional life journey. And then I met my current wife and, and producing partner, and she was much more open to the kind of the sacrifices and rigors that are needed to be able to take you know, a good chunk of your time and then devote it to not just writing the story, you know, that you can do pretty much alone, but then developing the production team around it, shooting it itself, and then doing all the post-production, which is, you know, editing, VFX, sound, and, and then bringing it to market, actually. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. A traditional film, you, you, you kind of have the story, you cast it, you build the team together, you plan the production, you shoot it which is usually a very compressed time frame, And then in post, you take all the time you need to, you know, edit it, titling, you know, sound, music, VFX, you know, all that stuff. And that depending on how much budget you have, how fast your, you know, team works and what the requirements are can take a lot longer than definitely from production. Production's always the shortest time. And then probably from pre-production as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I understand that there are kind of these days two banks for film. You've got the superhero blockbuster, $200 yeah. million dollar film, and then the independent film. And it's hard to find stuff in the middle. So you work in more of the independent side, but I'd love to hear your take on that. I think it's just 
it's, it's two things, right? One, putting together the amount, like, you know, the budgets and the requirements for VFX and kind of the brands and all that come along with it for those bigger movies have just become a lot more expensive. Talent, name talent, you know, they can cost millions of dollars for just one cast member. Union labor, you know, all these guys are highly uh, skilled artisans, so they get paid, you know, like thousands of dollars a day for production, especially, and post. So the, the numbers there just add up because there's so many people needed to make, you know, like Iron Man or, a, you know, any of these Superman, any of these big superhero movies. So I can see where those budgets explode. I, I have to say for myself, I'm a little suspicious about it, but that's probably just because I'm in the indie world. So, you know, I'm like, you know, sometimes I see a movie, I'm like, where does $200 million go? Like, I just don't see it for a movie. I absolutely love and adore. I just don't understand where $200 million go. But that's maybe because I'm just the gnat on the tail of the gigantic elephant that is, you know, these big studios, you know what I mean? Just surviving off of the, the indie, the crumbs, if you will, of the world. <laughs> very, very, very lean budgets because yeah. the other side of the story is film production has also become quite democratized, right? It used to be 20 years ago, you know, making a high quality image was kind of the rarefied, you know, ballywick of a very select group of people that had access to film, that had access to these 35 millimeter lenses, Panavision, you know, all these like very expensive pieces of equipment. Over the last de couple of decades, we've seen with the advent of especially like these kind of really pro and digital cameras like the red and, you know, Alexa has a couple of good models out. We've seen people, if not able to purchase these, at least able to rent them, at least able to be able to work with that digital workflow, right? You don't have only a few film processing companies. You can get your digital image out at 4k, 6k, even 8k cameras now, and sort of have a little bit of a, a access into how to process those, how to edit them, how to, you know, deal with them yourself. And I think that's made two things happen. One, it's made um, a whole bunch of movies possible. A whole bunch of creators are able to do it. The demands for streaming that all of these platforms are out there. YouTube, you know, even like uh, even your, this story, you know, how much has that been made popular by podcasts? And, you know, it's, it's the possibilities are almost endless. It's how much work and effort you can put into it, how the, the audience you can find. And that's just because of the, the tools have allowed almost everybody to create at the base level of high quality image, a high quality audio, if you, right, a recording like this. So there's a lot out there, but how do you actually separate that? So to me, it kind of comes down to like the old original tenets. Like it has to be a good story. It has to be, you know, you have to be able to be a good storyteller. You have to be able to, you know, give people something they haven't seen before because, you know, people think that there's nothing new under the sun, you know, that everything's already been done. And in a way that's true, you know, but there's always a way to imagine it. There's always a new angle on it. There's always a new idea that you get. Not everything will ever be done because just the combinations are infinite, right? So I think that combination is kind of separate the middle end because, you know, it's, you have the indie world where I am, which is super high risk. You kind of have like a, I would even call it like a wild west in a way, you know, you just have a bunch of people that can really just put their, you know, like it's possible for a guy to like kind of put a mortgage on his house or, you know, a second mortgage, you know, get a few hundred grand together and make a movie, right? Now, does that mean he should put his future at risk and do it? I don't know. I can't speak for other people. You know, like for me, I know it's a passion of mine. I don't think my life would be fulfilled if I didn't try to go for it. 
and I was blessed to meet the partner who make it happen. You know, she, she supported the whole way around. And I, I told her last night or two nights ago at our, at a, at a private screening, I owe my career to her because without her, I would not have had the support to be able to have a family, to be able to have a life and still be able to pursue these dreams. That's beautiful. I love that. And you're talking about a private screening. You have a movie that has just come out. So let's talk it. We have to talk about that. So it's the Institute. It's a medical thriller. <laughs> I I want to know everything. <laughs> okay. Well, um, first, give us a synopsis. Yeah, give us a synopsis first. A young couple has difficulty having children, and so they travel. They get accepted to an exclusive remote facility where a charismatic doctor says he will help them fulfill their dreams. And so you said that these days a story really has to have uniqueness, originality. What would you say you're bringing in that regard to this story? Did you, you wrote it, right? Yes. Yeah. You yep. wrote it and did you direct it as well? I did. And you produced it? Um, not entirely. Not entirely. Actually, okay. My wife was the lead producer, uh, Chelsea Roth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have a whole production team, you know, awesome. other producers, a whole team of executive producers. And, you know, it, this is, it's a feature. So it yeah. takes a village. I mean, this was, you know, 50 plus people working on this. Awesome. So what is unique and original about this take on a couple trying to have a family? Well, I think it's going to be a little different than other maybe films that you've seen that deal with this topic. You know, I've had to be sensitive because it is a very delicate topic. I've had friends, family members that have dealt with this. You know, the idea came from my own, you know, initial attempts to start a family, you know, the insecurities that come with it and how in the medical field, you're not really, you know, you don't really have a lot of power. And this is, you know, my, my family has many physicians in it. My sister, my father, they're both physicians. And, you know, I understand their side of it, but I also have been through the, I've been through this journey. I've seen what happens in the hospital. Women kind of railroaded into things like a C-section, you know, which is more popular and more prevalent than natural births now, which is mind boggling to me, but a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother uh, top. That's a different podcast. It's <laughs> a different podcast. Yeah. These things all kind of inspired me to, to talk about this, you know, and it's sort of a taboo subject. So I think it's important to, to delve with things that are important and maybe we don't discuss quite so much, but, you know, at the same time, you know, I, as a man, you know, it's not really my job, you know, I'm an advocate, but I'm not really here to, I can't really speak for the, the specific detailed, you know, journey. Uh, so I just wanted to be sensitive to that, but at the same time, you know, I'm, it's a film, you know, I want this to be something watchable. So I kind of have always been a person that lets my imagination run wild. This is why I love to do this. I come up with a story, you know what I mean? It, it seems interesting to me and I want to tell that story to others and just give them, you know, an hour and a half of escapism. And hopefully you're surprised by some of the twists and turns, um, some of the places that I take this story. And I think that's what makes it unique is that I kind of mix and match certain expectations that you have. And then hopefully at the end of the story, you've seen something, a, a melange that you may have never seen before. Well, it sounds very intriguing. Can you tell me anything about the actors that are starring in it, the cast? Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, it's an indie, 
And our lead actress, Victoria Brandart, she was somebody that I had worked with before. We were familiar with each other and I kind of helped her. We worked with each other to bring the production, you know, to the to light. And so she had been there since basically day one, not day two at least. And so it was a natural choice. You know, she read for the part and she really had the passion for it and, and still is helping, you know, pr promote. She was a great, you know, some of the reviews said she was a great choice. She did a wonderful job. She was familiar with my initial actor. He dropped out. Unfortunately, he had, he was also kind of a family friend. He's a, a, a big, a big star on, on, uh, on Broadway, but he had some scheduling difficulties. And then with COVID and our budget requirements and everything getting sort of condensed, you know, she brought uh, a, a new actor, Ignacio Matinia, and the fact that they were familiar with each other when they read, you know, it really helped work things out because they, you know, this is a story about a husband and wife. So the intimacy there, the, the, the background, the heritage of their relationship transformed, you know, informed that, that I love that formed the film. So it worked out yeah. well, they did a, a good job and they had that connection, that chemistry that you can kind of see on screen. And it sounds like in an indie film environment, you really went into your own network to cast the film. Is that typical? Did you also hold auditions? Like what? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, our main actor, our, the doctor himself, there's a couple of doctors, but the main doctor, Mark Wobin, he was somebody who I had worked with as well. He, I'd cast him in a play I had directed. You know, I'm also uh, a playwright and, and, and director in, in that world. And he played a very different character, but I always saw him as the look and, you know, be able to, you know, at least look the part. So then we had him read for the audition for actually to be able to pull off some of the, you know, the range that the doctor needed. And I, I think he, he did it, you know, he was definitely came across the way he needed to come across for the story. The other, the ensemble, there's other couples at the Institute, you know, that we meet some of them. I went to my network people I had cast before, but we had uh, a few kind of public castings. It was different given COVID that there's Zoom castings, but I think it worked out okay. Yeah, that must have been quite a process. Did you use any of the local casting agencies? We actually have a bunch of local casting agencies right here in the Hudson Valley. Is this where you filmed it? I filmed it, yeah, I filmed it the majority of it. The vast majority was in the Hudson Valley, the Cats. Yeah. The Hudson Valley Film Commission was instrumental getting us resources for like local ads and, and transportation and even some locations and just talent sound you know there's a whole bunch of people that need to be there the day of and a little bit before to to get this thing to to work casting i did not really put out my net here in the hudson valley you know maybe looking back i should have but just you know i kind of had that history with new york and casting in the city and knowing the talent down there and, uh, you know, just the pool is so huge. And because they, we, we didn't have a whole lot of like extras we needed or just kind of, you know, it was all very specific, very tight, you know, cast. So I went mostly with the New York area, although Victoria Brand artist came in from LA. Oh, wow. Okay, great. Now we have in this area, it, it's being torn down because it's being built into like a shopping center and condos and stuff, but it's an old mental institution it's supposed to be haunted, very, you know, weird energy over there. Did you look into places like that here in the Hudson Valley since it's a medical thriller? 
or how did you choose your locations? Yeah, no, I think I'm familiar with the one you're talking about. There's one that's yeah. near Middletown, New York. And then there's a few abandoned facilities I've seen as well. I had my, my location, people look into them. I think they're good locations, but they weren't available as like filmed locations, but we were able to get tons of great places in the Hudson Valley. We, we found an old summer camp that, you know, unfortunately they weren't doing anything because of COVID. So we were able to have a little bubble and have our, you know, cast and crew all live together for, you know, the few weeks. It was really very collegiate, you know, we had a game room, people were playing pool, having campfires, you know, it's, it was pretty cool. I mean, we're working hard. We're working That's hard. awesome. Like drama camp for a movie. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I would love it to do that again. You know, That's amazing. Well, being in the Hudson Valley, having actor friends in the Hudson Valley, I'll tell you there are some amazing talent and some wonderful casting people here in the area. And there's a lot more stuff being filmed here. I love that you're, you're doing stuff up here and that you've relocated up here. What else can you tell us about I mean, the film? It, it's out now. It's in. It's yeah. How do we see it? Amazon. Yeah. Amazon, Apple TV, Google play, all the streaming sites will have it. YouTube. I'm sure. And you can also see it on spectrum, your local cable providers, your local satellite providers. It'll be available on their, on, on their networks to, you know, it's the Institute. By Hamza Zaman, you know, just check it out. We also would appreciate if you guys could give us some good reviews, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes and the like. And, uh, you know, it's a small film, so small films need big support. So, you know, anything you can do to help spread the word or help us with our social media, you know, um, you can check out all those links on institutemovie.com. And, you know, it should route you to more and more areas where you can see it. We can, you know, sign up for news on the social side. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, this is all very fascinating. I'm just a, a small creator, you know, trying to, to live my dream by, you know. Yeah, I love that. And I really admire and honor you for doing that because you did take a risk. Like you went out on the skinny branches and you mentioned that it was really because your wife supported that dream. She said, go for it, babe. I don't know if she calls her babe, right? That's just what's happening in my head. Go for it, babe. So let's talk about her a little bit. Her name is Chelsea and she's a producer and she's in the film world as well. What do you love best about her? Oh my God. I mean, I don't want to, you know. Uh, Top three. <laughs> just, there's really nothing bad I could say about her. You know, she's yeah. a wonderful person. We joke about like. You know, I have, we have our own, obviously relationship has their own internal language. You know, what I joke about how I've been searching for her for many lifetimes and uh, so we finally got to meet and, and fulfill that, you know, long, long journey. She's got a great that. heart, like a wonderful heart, you know, super, super soft, the highest levels of integrity, you know, which made her kind of an ill fit for when I, we, we started getting her into this film production world, but somehow we were able to muddle her along. You know, swimming with people and their egos and their lies. But, you know, it's been, it's been a journey that's been able to be more rewarding because we're together, right? We can kind of share these things. She actually comes more from the Broadway world. She went to college for design and then she worked on a, a whole host of Broadway shows, you know, backstage designing, you know, wigs and makeup and all that. And, you know, she does costume design. She's an award-winning costume designer. Uh, she won. Oh, wow, cool. Right. Yeah. And that's what she really wants to do. She really loved to do costume design. And unfortunately, because of our budget and our requirements, she got pushed more into the production role, but she's been doing great with it. And, you know, because of her experience with 
you know, we, we kind of did this together. I, with the first play I wrote, you know, we were like, okay, she's the one that told me to submit it. We won that, you know, little contest. And from there, it's just been like, you know, decisions together. Which one of our stories does she like? Do we like? And we kind of partner up, get the team together, you know, put it on. And it's been very natural. It's always been like a part of our relationship, frankly. I don't know if it will ever change because we do have that love for art. We do have that love for story. So even though now we have kids and we're sort of, you know, more, more, more in a adulting mode, I don't think it really was too big of a tangent, right? So she, we met at a writer's group, actually. We were both working on, I was working on a screenplay. She was working on a play. So we always had that connection on our art, on what we love about it. I mean, our tastes are different. <laughs> she, she'll probably say she has taste, whereas I'm more open to, you know, pretty much anything with the, within the genre world. I'll, I'll watch. But, you know, there's just, there's really, I couldn't, I could go on. There's really nothing uh, about her that I would change. She's a, She's a wonderful human being that's, you know, honestly sacrificed so much for us, for our family, to be able to let us make these films, to be able to like raise a family. I mean, yeah, things she does are an order of magnitude above what I contribute to, you know, our lifestyle. Ah, oh, that's amazing. I love hearing you talk about her. You're just so complimentary, so much acknowledgement and love in your words and behind them. Beautiful. Yeah. And you met at a writer's group. Huh? Yeah. yeah. This was in Manhattan, I guess, sort of semi, it's random, but you know, I was, I don't know. I don't want to say anything ill about writers either, uh, since I am one, but I was at a writer. <laughs> I was going to say, aren't you a writer? <laughs> I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I'm, I'll, you know, guilty as charged. So, but you know, the groups are not usually filled with, um, I shall I say this beautiful, attractive, you know, young, um, women coming in to, to, to work on their stories. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but in my case, you know, I was just working on my screenplay, kind of like minding my own business. And then she kind of came in and sat down. It's better that way, right? Cause then you don't get distracted. You're just there to work. Right. <laughs> I, I did start to get distracted though. That's ah. <laughs> I'd never been distracted before, but in this case, you know, I got distracted. And we just, uh, the, the format is you kind of, everybody just stops and quietly writes together and then they kind of can discuss their work. And so we discussed our work a little and, you know, struck up a friendship from there. And apparently she thought I was somebody that she already knew and disliked. So this was a funny thing. This is, so, so she thought I looked like somebody that she already knew, but was not a very nice guy. So when I, when we discussed, you know, when we talked about her stories, she realized I was not that guy which was, you know, obviously to my benefit. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, the rest, you know, it just a friendship interests, you know, discussing the writing. And then we kind of had like the one coffee date and which lasted like, you know, six hours and a real date and kind of a real natural progression from there into, you know, engagement, marriage, and now it's two kids. Two kids, young ones too, right? Little kids. Yeah, all cool COVID kids, I guess. Cyrus was yeah. born about a month and a half before COVID happened. Okay. And then Victor was just this December. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> so are you ever going to write that story? The story of your meet cute and your life? Oh, I, I never even thought about it. That's funny you said that. I, it, you know, it just seems pretty straightforward you know this i there's nothing that 
crazy and you uh, but I well, still bring in those elements into all my other yeah. work. You know, a lot of times right. screenplay I write I named the protagonist after her in, in the beginning just to kind of flesh out a character or you know nice. female character. I'll kind of give names of my friend just to piece it together, make them a little richer from from day one. So I, you know, I bring our story permeates almost every story I have, actually even the institute, right? It's based yeah. on a young couple that can't conceive. So it's I, don't, I wouldn't call it semi-autobiographical. We don't deserve it. other people sure. have these real issues and, and, you know, they're the ones who, who we should kind of concern with and, and support them on their journeys. But some of the dialogues, some of the, you know, situations, they all kind of stem from our relationship. Absolutely. So I have to ask you, you know, I, I said before, I love that you're following your passion and your dream and there's a lot of doubt. There's a lot of opportunity to be judged. You're putting out your own personal creativity. You're asking people to back <laughs> your work and, you know, uh, act in your story. How has self-worth played a role in your journey and your life? Self-worth. Well, definitely I will give one piece of advice, which is if you have any, you know, be prepared for your self-worth to be negatively impacted. If you put out a movie or put out any work, you know, there's yeah. always going to be people that speak negatively of it and nitpick everything. No matter how good it is, there's always a hater, a troll, but, you know, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, just be prepared for that and, and you know, try to stay focused on the positives. Like, you know, you're following your dream. You're, you're, you, you made a project. You gave people work. You, you employed people during COVID. You know, you created some art together with people that you love. You know, there are people that love this, you know, there's going to be people that love it. There's going to be people that don't like it, but focus on the fact that you're doing what you set out to do and that you can accomplish what you want to do. If you just take the time and keep, keep pushing forward and just, you know, find the right team, find the right partner to be at. for my, my, in my case, it's, you know, find the support structure around you that'll allow you to thrive. So that, that's kind of how I would consider like how self-worth played a part in it. You know, I, yeah, it's. It's a complicated issue, right? Because it is. It is. Many layers. You almost have to have an overly inflated sense of self-worth to think that anybody cares about what your story is or a story that you write. Like, yeah. why should anybody care? Yeah, you had an idea. You, you know, you love this, but so what? You know, there's a war going on in Ukraine. There's people dying. There's people, you know, don't have enough to eat. And you're taking, you know, a thousand days of your life. You know, it took three years for us to bring this to market. So where are your priorities at? And I, I feel those in, inside as well. I always, I ask myself these questions, you know, like, Hey, you know, it's, is this worth it? Is, is this art like, you know, really contributing to society at the level that it should and that you really can do. And then it's, is it a valid use of resources? And, you know, I think that's an open question and everybody has to answer that for themselves. I mean, you know, we, I don't need to like publicize any of my charity or, you know, donations and stuff, but for me, this was what I had wanted to do since I was a teenager. And if not, young people actually started doing when I was a teenager, but really wanted to do since I was a child. The first Saturday morning cartoons that I watched, I was like, this is cool, but I want this to happen. Why didn't this happen? This is what I would have done. Oh, wow. This is where it started for me. I'm like, you know what? When I'm going to get older, I'm going to make my own. I'm going to fix it. Make it better. <laughs> I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it more to, you know, my tastes. And, uh, and that's really all I'm doing is I'm trying to say, Hey, there may be people out there that are not being kind of served or may not have their, their tastes 
titillated, if you will. So this is something that I think would be cool. This is something I like. I think I want you to enjoy it. You know, this is supposed to bring you actually enjoyment and joy and positive. And even though I talk, tackle some dark subjects and have some, you know, twists and turns in there, the, the final takeaway, I want you to have some positive, you know, some endorphins and add something kind of helpful to your life, you know, which is, you know, a, a positive experience. So yeah, I'm not changing the world, but I do want to maybe give a few of us uh, uh, a few hours of, of pleasure. Sure. Well, there's a place for it for sure. And we need to support it. We need to support the arts because they aren't an afterthought. They aren't just something to do to pass the time. And I'm, and I'm thinking about, you're talking about dark subjects. I'm thinking about the first podcast that really put podcasts on the map was true crime. It was called Serial. And it was about this guy that's in prison for uh, killing his girlfriend. And like, did he do it? Did he not? And now that yeah, serial has released. Yeah. Did it get him released? I know. Oh, I didn't know the end. I don't know if I think there was, if it's the same podcast I'm thinking of, there was a lot of, like, you know, attention that came to her. Maybe there's yeah, a lot of, I don't know if he ever got released, but definitely a lot of, um, of attention, but that's really what put made, I believe what made podcasts mainstream because this was before Joe Rogan and, and all of that. Yeah. And so true crime, those darker subjects, they're very popular. They're very sought after. I think it allows us to look at the shadow side of life. And for me, the reason I don't like it is I don't like to be scared. I'm scared <laughs> enough in my own life and I don't like to be upset. I'm upset enough in my own life. Like I don't, I don't need to be entertained with the stuff that I deal with. And cause I'm yeah. all about, you know, being positive and, and really managing my mindset. So, and it's just a personal choice, but, but it's very popular and you're right. Like those darker subjects, that's what people want. It's give the people what they want. <laughs> and you're doing that. Awesome. Yeah. I think I try to give a little bit of positivity in there because, you know, there's just, to me, there's no such thing as like pure white, pure black, you know? Pure, yeah, pure, of course. There's always going to be a little, a little mix in there. So Let's see. We'll see. I, I totally respect your, your, you know, desire to kind of control your information space and to keep your life, you know, oriented the way you wanted to go. I just have been one of these people my whole life where I couldn't do that. Like to me, I really, I need to know what's going on in those areas because that's what fulfills my life. That's what gives me the, the confidence to understand, to feel that I have a true understanding of the meaning of my life. Right. You need, I need to know what's happening in in the bunker and you, you know, in Kiev where, you know, my friend is right now hiding from these Russian forces. Wow. Uh, you know, as well as, you know, be able to enjoy like the sublime love of my wife. You know, I need to, I, I have to have both sides of it. And unfortunately you live in the grays, no black and white. Yeah. You live in the grays. Yeah. It's good. It's a, it's a very good skill and it's, it's makes you a better storyteller. I'm sure as well. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So we can see your movie on all the streaming services and I'm wishing you huge success with it. So much success that it ends up in the four movie theaters that are still open after COVID. (laughs) Oh my goodness. It's quite a world that we're in. It's quite a world. I always like to turn the tables before we end and see if you have a question you'd like to ask me. So do you have a question for me today? 
Sure. Yeah, Trista. I know you had said that, you know, you deal with, you know, empowerment and, and positivity, kind of like surround yourself with this world. So I, I don't need you to get into like, you know, what bad thing happened that, you know, made you kind of focus on that or any of the other bad stuff that, cause we all have that, right? Everybody deals with these, these bad issues and, you know, and I really, I'm, I'm very, I'm very appreciative that you, you know, would share and, and build a platform for others to share their stories and, and try to uplift them by, by focusing on the positive. So I want to start by just thanking you, but I wanted to know if there was a particular incident or anything that you probably already dealt with this in your other podcasts, but I'm just curious if there's anything specific you wanted to talk about on what inspired you to do this and, and where that came from. Well, so my brand for my coaching and my business is called I Woke Up Awesome. And where that came from is I really, I've done a lot of work on myself over my life. I'm very transformational. I like taking courses and reading books and watching videos that expand me to be able to transform myself to be the best possible version I can be, the highest self version I can be walking around. In, yeah. in this humanness that we all have. And in that journey, I realized that I've learned a lot that I wanted to be able to give back and share. And I could actually, you know, pay that forward. And then all of a sudden that, you know, voice in your head that's living there speaking to you as basically an ongoing, never-ending monologue. Mm -hmm. It said, oh, well, you better get a haircut first. Oh, you should you should uh, lose a few pounds. Well, you're not wearing makeup. Don't do it today. Oh, uh, you should buy a new wardrobe. Like there were all these reasons to wait. And then one morning I woke up and I said, I had this epiphany that came from somewhere that you are perfect just as you are. There's nothing to change about you. If you go onto a video camera and start recording yourself with your hair terrible, your makeup <laughs> under your eyes, wearing your pajamas, this is before COVID, right? When everybody's doing that now, like it's, you know, fashion <laughs> sense. Right, I was a trendsetter, baby. Um, <laughs> if you go on camera, just as you are right out of bed and share powerful words of wisdom, that help people, that's still amazing. And you don't need to look perfect and dress perfectly and all of those things in order to offer something of value. Because just as you are right now, you are perfect. I gave myself this little pep talk from this, this epiphany. And then I realized, well, that's true of all of us. Like we're, so we're all perfect. Hamza, you are perfect just as you are. You have nothing to change about you. Thank you. And I thought, what if that was the message that there is to share? Because my self-worth has definitely grown over the years. That's why I always ask the question, how has self-worth played a role in your life? Because it's definitely played a role in mine. And I love hearing other perspectives about it. But I used to think I'm too fat, too ugly, too dumb, not funny enough. Like, you know, pick a reason why I'm terrible that I shouldn't be sharing my gifts like you are sharing yours. I love acting. I would never be an actor. I wouldn't want to put up the, with, the, with the rejection. You know, I love writing, but I could never, you know, like all of those, those self-doubt things. Yeah. And so that's kind of where it all stemmed from, because I really believe that you can't be more successful than your self-worth says. You can't be loved more than you love yourself. We put the limits on ourselves. 
So it's really about taking the limits away layer by layer. It's not a flip switch kind of situation, right? There's always another layer to do. So that's really where it comes from. And of course, as you said, plenty of personal trauma and drama that I've worked through in my life, like we all have. I'm no, no special person when it comes to that. We all deal with our own journey. But yeah, so that's, I would say, where it all kind of stems from. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, we all deal with the trauma, but you know, not as many of us, not enough of us do something about it that can help others. You know, I went to, so at, during COVID, I got my EMT certification. I went to some training last night where for the first time, you know, we did this kind of suicide assistance, uh, mm. QPR um, training. And I had just wished to God that somebody had shown me this training like a decade ago because wow. you know, we don't need to get into it, but you know, there's people that I'd met, you know, like friends of mine and, uh, you know, I didn't have the tools to really help them. You know, I didn't really have the tools to help. So it, it's amazing that one hour and a half session, you could be able to give you the tools that you could use to save a life. I mean, I hate to, you know, over-dramatize it, but it's true. So I think you building a platform where you bring these people in and, you know, get them to potentially share some information that could be very helpful to people. It's, it's very vital and, and not many people take that next step to say, Hey, I'm not going to just let this transformation, the self-transformation journey help me. I'm going to do something that could potentially allow others to help others. Yeah. Uh, so QPR, it's a suicide prevention tool. I've never yeah. heard of this before. Give me a, a brief synopsis. Basically it is, I don't want to really, I'm no expert. I could, you know, one. Oh yeah, no, that's fine. I just, Basically. it can be like a top level. Yeah. So there's CPR, which is what, you know, we're, we're trained with to, you know, uh, provide, you know, cardiopulmonary resuscitation, help like a person that's having a, you know, cardiac issue or respiratory issue. So QPR is kind of based around the same, which is three tenets called question, persuade, and refer. And you basically just give people the basic things to say, and frankly, not to say, and how, if you suspect somebody is contemplating suicide, you can, um, question them about it and, you know, persuade them. And all you really, the, 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 the fact the, the core of it is based on hope. So a lot of people, they feel that they have no other choice. You know, suicide is not an option that people take because they have any other way. They're, they're just like us, the people that their life has pushed them into a corner. And the only way they think they can escape these problems is through suicide. So all you do is you try to persuade them, give them a little bit of hope. This topic is really dark fast is give them a little bit of hope that there is another option and that can sometimes be enough. And then, you know, it's just, the other is just to refer them to the professional. There's a whole, you know, group of advocacy organizations. Sure. And unfortunately in the Sullivan County area, there's not enough of them. You know, we have one of the highest suicide rates in the, in the state and it's, it's very unfortunate. And this is, this is based primarily around first responders. That's why, you know, we, we took the training, but I think it's very helpful to everybody in this world to have known about this and how to deal with this. If you can just build yourself up, take some time to hear them out and persuade them that there's, there's hope that there's options other than suicide and then refer them to an organization that deals with this, you know, like a professional organization that could be what it takes to, to save somebody. Wow. And I appreciate you mentioning it. I've not heard of this process. I get that it's for first responders, but like you said, it sounds like it's something just like you could learn CPR. You know, and, yeah. and be a citizen, 
you know, I think people really want to, you say hope is a piece of it. I absolutely agree. And I think, and this is my opinion, but people just really want to be heard. They want to feel connection with others. And so I think that's where the hope comes from, from the process you're talking about, not really knowing what it is, but um, yeah, that's, that's a great resource to share. You know, people are always sharing the suicide prevention hotline stuff on Facebook and all of that. You know, it's a thing that it's hard to know sometimes, you know, people like the, the famous people like Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, oh, nobody realized how they were feeling and that it was that bad for them. And, you know, we, we've gotten so, yeah. So to know those signs, we've gotten so isolated. I think mental health issues are definitely off the charts because of COVID and isolation. And, you know, I like being home. I I enjoy being home. I'm going to just be really honest and say, this has been not bad, but good for my mental health. But I have friends, they need to be around human people, you know, in order to really feel connected to the world. And it's been really tough for them. And you're right, it got a little dark, but that's okay. That's life. And I do appreciate you sharing that resource. Of course. So- I'm so happy to have had you here today, Hamza. It has been a really fun and educational conversation. Thanks for having me. This has been really wonderful. Yeah. Me too. So everybody go see the film, The Institute, streaming wherever you watch stuff. Give it reviews, rave reviews, share it on social media. Let's help this independent film get the huge love and support that it deserves. Thanks so much, Trista. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Have a great day. You too, Trista. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Trista's Plate Story podcast, share it, or leave a review. If you would like to nominate a license plate to be featured in a future episode, or you have an interesting Plate Story news item to share with me, leave us a comment or visit platestory.com. That's P-L number eight story.com and give me all the details. This is Trista Polo wishing you well on the road to your next adventure.